Well, hey, everybody. Some of you are alarmed. You're, you're at church for the first time, and the sermon's entitled Wrath, and you're like, this was not what I was going for. Uh, let me help so you know where we're going. As a church, we've simply been talking about what, like what, what's the real stuff that gets in the way of us making God first in, in all of our life. And we have you know, gone through some, what's called the seven deadly sins, this being the seventh one. And, uh, and many of us have felt like, well, this is just, let's get this series over with as fast as possible. So for those of you who know, this is, this is the last one, but we gotta deal with, with wrath. Let me help us all understand where we're at, wherever you're watching this. Um, Show of hands, yes, participation. Um, have you ever been really upset with someone or something? Raise your hand. Okay, just trying to get us all involved. Good job, good job. So far, you're being honest. Um, and now, here, you're, here, we'll see if you raise your hands on this one. Um, has, has anyone, based on your response to a moment like that, you're like, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. Anyone? Okay, just trying to help us. The, being angry... It's not a sin. But many of us have sinned because of our anger. You got me? So that's what we, that's what we need to talk about. Uh, so let me give us a definition. Something to work off of so we're going to know what we're all talking about. We talk about wrath. Sometimes it's like I, different definitions. Uh, it's rooted in self-preservation. Basically, someone or something does something to you or someone you love or care about. So you act out on trying to preserve just your own self, uh, security, or your ego gets threatened. <laughs> Woo, uh, there's a whole series we could do there with the ego, but uh, if you've ever parented, I'm just thinking right now, if you've ever parented, and you're told that you don't know what you're talking about, and you're like, I'm the parent, I'm the parent, I'm the parent, I'm the parent. I have to go, I'm the parent and a pastor, I'm the parent and a pastor. No, but, but you understand that when, you, when at work, you've been there, it, or at school, when, you're, when, when you get embarrassed, you're, you're, when your ego gets punched, we like to punch back. And I think that's a, it's a good word. Uh, it's, it's often detailed by being reckless, uncontrolled. You see, you're saying, okay, this is, this is senseless. I think nowadays, if you, if you look at um, what's one, it's one of the major problems in the world today. It's not that you and I are upset. It's that we're reckless about it. Where I think there's some good, good intentions behind a lot of stuff, but we go about it in the worst of ways, the, the wrong ways, the painful ways, and we got we, we to have someone like the pastor guy come up and say, we got to talk about how we're dealing with our anger. Resentment takes the wheel. I think Carrie Underwood brought up something about taking the wheel. I don't listen to country music. Maybe that'll help some of us. But, but it's, it's, if you're willing to have this kind of openness, it's, it's when something happens and then you go to your best friend or your spouse or someone and you begin to talk about what they did, what they said, how that played out, and you begin to see resentment growing and growing. But it's then when resentment takes the wheel. You catching that? That's when wrath oftentimes becomes a part of our life, revenge is the goal. Where it's no longer do we fix the problem, it's no, do, do they know what they did hurt me or cause damage? I found it fascinating, a synonym is fury. Some of you right now, you got names connected, oh, you're like, you know fury. And you know what the sad thing is? Do you know, okay, that in a church like us, 
that when some of us walk into a room or when we get home, we have family members or coworkers or friends that think you and I sometimes are the fury. And I think that's why we got to let say, God, God, would you deal with this in my heart? And then probably my favorite descriptor, wrath playing the role of judge, jury, and executioner. Uh, I got to tell you, sometimes playing all three roles is fun. And do you need me to lie about it and say, you know, it's never fun, it's never fulfilling. But I got to tell you, my experiences as I've played all three roles in a moment, I get, they don't talk about the fourth role where all of a sudden there's regret and brokenness after that. And so, and so you might think that you're really good at all three, but you're not designed to play all three. So we're going to talk about this, obviously, wrath. I want to give you a classic story from the Bible that highlights uh, uh, another guy, not you, not me, and his issue with wrath. That seems fun. Let's not talk about you and I for a second. Let's just, let's talk about crazy for a while. Look at this guy's story and be like, man, he's toxic. That's horrible. Let's do that for a little bit. A guy named Samson. Samson in, in Judges, if you, don't, if you haven't read the Bible, maybe no one taught this to you, but, but before Israel had, had what you and I would call kings, right? They, they had judges and who didn't have the same exact authority, but they had influence, major influence. Samson, falling into that book of being super uh, well-known, that's why he's worth studying. If you grew up in church and you went to Sunday school, you probably heard about Samson, super strong guy. Well, Samson uh, crosses paths as a single guy with a lady that he is like, I like you. Now, their process was different than yours and mine, hopefully, where he went home to his parents and said, I found her. I'd like for you to arrange a wedding, a ceremony. I, some of you are like, I'm going to try that. I'm gonna, but you don't trust your parents well enough to. <laughs> so, so that's basically, they, they arranged. He found a girl that he really liked, and they arranged a, a, a wedding, a, a marriage. They arranged it. And so what's interesting, though, is who he was and who she was. He's, he's an Israelite. She's a Philistine. Now, why that should be pertinent to you is, is they didn't get along. In fact, nowadays, you could even still suggest they don't get along. It's fascinating if you want to study history on that. Well, so for an Israelite, Philistine, for them to come together in marriage was, I mean, it was fine, but, but tense. Let's just say tense. The, the ceremony would have been like, what are we doing? What are they doing? What, how's this going to work? We don't, our people don't like each other. We fight all the time. Much of the, the Old Testament is full of war after war after war, battle after battle with, with these two groups of people. And it's like, you're going to get married? So the way it worked is there was a seven-day party for the wedding. One day, if you are a parent who has to pay for a reception... Aren't you glad there's not seven receptions, seven days? Of... Uh, so Samson uh, was gifted, or I would say guarded, with 30 groomsmen. The Philistines kindly said, we've got 30, you know, just guys. They want to celebrate with you, Samson, all week long and watch you and make sure you don't do anything wrong. They gave 30. So in the midst of that, day one, Samson comes up with an idea like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a riddle to my groomsmen. If they guess it right, I'm going to hook them up with a bunch of really good clothes. I know that sounds weird to you and I, but anyways, it's just in the Bible. I'm just telling you the story. So 
He pitches this to his groomsmen, who he doesn't really fully like and they don't like him, but here's the riddle, Judges 14, 14. Out of the one who eats came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Now, for those of you who can't stand, like, to not know the end of the movie, the, the answer's in the Bible. You can, it's fine. <laughs> What's interesting about the riddle that he pitches is this is based out of his own personal experience that no one's going to know the answer to. It's literally a riddle going, it's a trap. But it's, it's like, I'm going to give you these wonderful things. You're not getting this answer. Day one goes by, uh, they don't get it. Obviously, day two, they don't get it. The third day passes, they don't get it. So you know what they do? The groomsmen go to Samson's bride. Say, hey, you're a Philistine just like us. Who are you more united with? And she takes the bait. Some of you are like, oh, no, you didn't. She takes the bait. She's like, all right, I'll try to get the answer for you guys. She tries. Day four, fails. Five, six. Seventh day of the party, she leans over. At least this is how I picture it. Come on. You're about to tell everybody the answer. I'm your wife. Come on. Don't you trust me? <laughs> and, he, and he tells her the answer to the riddle. And somehow she gets excused, goes to the groomsmen, and an hour before the deadline lets them know the answer. And all of a sudden, these guys show up. Hey, Samson, we got your answer. Judges 14, 18, for those of you who can't stand this, here's the answer. Uh, what is sweeter than honey what is stronger than a lion? They solved the riddle. It should have been then, all right, move on to the next phase of the party. Samson, they solved your riddle, no big deal, right? Okay. Well, I'm obviously telling you the story of Samson for a reason that he doesn't handle this really well. He's been duped. He should have won. So if you read your Bible, here's what plays out. This is so horrible. Samson leaves goes 30 miles away to a neighboring town. He finds 30 Philistine men, Philistine being the key, finds 30 Philistine men, murders them single-handedly, strips them naked, takes their clothes, and brings it back to the groomsmen and says, here you go. Some of you are like, what? I mean, in our, in our current day, we would say, that's rather toxic, I think. I think that's... <laughs> That's not going to go well, right? So, so listen, so he murders 30 men. And it, so you're, it's, it's, it's a graphic, almost, it's not exaggerated because it really happened, but it feels exaggerated story of anger, like going to a level. You're like, that, that dude is crazy. He's, he's so mad about the whole ordeal. He doesn't actually stay at the party with his wife and all that kind of stuff. Judges 14, 19 says, burning with anger, I mean, you think, uh, burning with anger, he returned to his, to his parents' house. He's so mad at everybody else, he's like, I'm done with all of you. And he just stews there. We don't know exactly how long he stews there, but we know he's angry. And this is where you and I need to feel, we need to understand what's going on here. Feeling anger versus mismanaging anger. Seems like an extreme example, I get it. But this is where you and I are battling, I think, every single day, if not every week, right? Where you feel angry, you're like, David, Pastor David, reverent. Is God cool with me? Is he okay with me being angry? Anger is not a sin. 
mismanaging anger is where sin happens. And many of us are like, I feel angry, and all of us know that feeling, but not all of us are trying to honor God and how we deal with that. So while Samson is gone and stewing, um, his father-in-law makes some executive decisions, one of them being absurd. Judges 14, 20. So his wife was given in marriage to the man who had been Samson's best man at the wedding. When you want to make a list of things you don't do uh, to someone with an anger problem, I'm now going to draft on that list. Don't give that person's spouse to the best man. Doesn't it seem like of all the things that you've chosen to do, you think this is the logic? He just murdered. What are you doing? But that's what, that's what happens. They're like, all right. Eventually, Samson's like, I'm going back. I'm going to go be with my wife. We're going to go do this thing. And he shows up. But the father-in-law won't let Samson get to his wife. So imagine that conversation. I would not have wanted to have that, but it's in the Bible for us to thoroughly enjoy. Uh, I truly thought you must hate her. Logical. So I gave her in marriage to your best man. I, I wonder if the whole time he's like, I mean, Samson's big and strong. If he's backing up the entire, I truly thought you must hate her. Um, and begin to unfold. And so then he does, I feels ludicrous. But look, her younger sister's even more beautiful than she is. We cool, right? Marry her instead? <clears throat> that does not go well. But let me set something up for you. Samson's words, if you'll allow them to be, should pierce your own heart and should cause you to think about something in your life. Here's what he says. Uh, Samson said, this time I could not be blamed. He's like, last time the 30, okay, I overreacted. This time, I cannot be blamed for everything I'm going to do to you Philistines. This time, you can't fault me for what I'm about to do. This is where I think we let a verse like this. You might be like, well, I'm Samson. No, this is where he gets into your life and mine. Could you and I be doing the same thing? I'm just, I'm asking on behalf of our whole church where perhaps you and I are, are taking our anger our, and we're frustrated and we're saying, yeah, but, but they did this, so you can't blame me for doing this. You see what we do? We, we justify because we, we can prove in a court of law what they did was wrong. So you can't blame me for what I'm about to do. I think, I think it's like reading our mail kind of verse. If you want to know what he did... Uh, it's crazy town. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. I mean, it, if you've ever seen a movie like, like John Wick, I'm not, I'm not highlighting movies for you to go home and, and watch. And all. But if you ever watch like John Wick or Gladiator or some of you grew up with Rambo, where the majority of the movie is like there's a blip of, hey, you've been really wronged in the first five minutes of the, of the movie. And they're going to spend the next 45 minutes, you're, you're plotting your revenge. And sometimes it's in great detail of what they're going to do. And then the last part is, 
is the revenge acted out. I've just described every action movie ever made in all of them, right? Well, well what I, I'm, I'm going to show you in the Bible that the original script, I don't think, was from Hollywood. Uh, Judges 15, this is crazy now. Then he went out and caught 30 foxes. Please do not be like, oh, okay, that's rational. I have a hard time. If I need to go pick up our 15-year-old little dog, I'm like, I'm going to need 30 minutes to catch this thing. He's going to run, right? 300 foxes. If you're like, no big deal, okay. You go catch five foxes this week. <laughs> Post it online, and I'll give you 10 bucks, okay? Because that's, that's, that's amazing. You ain't caught 300 foxes. It's crazy. He tied their tails together in pairs. It's one thing to catch it. Now you got to re-catch it, right? You just track it. Like, think logically. And he fastened a torch to each pair of tails. Are you in the movie yet? You can hear the music. He's like in a dark room. I'm tired. And then you grab. This is. Okay. Then, Then he lit the torches of course, and let the foxes run through the grain fields of the Philistines. He burned all the grain to the ground. You, you've got to be kidding me. Burned all the, all the grain to the ground. He burned all the grain to the ground and threw the sheaves and the uncut grain. He also destroyed their vineyards and the olive groves. I mean, he, he basically went to their town and said, all the food you've been growing is growing now and all the food that you've stored, gone. So I told you, you'd be like, Man, that Samson guy, he's crazy. And sometimes we'll read a Bible story and we'll be like, yeah, crazy Samson, crazy Samson. Samson's story is often our story. And some of you are like, no. (laughs) I've not murdered 30 people yet. And I definitely have not destroyed an entire town's supply of food and crops still. I've never done any of that. And we get into the details, do we not? Here's why I say this. Most of us have a story of reckless anger. So when we read and open up the story of Samson, I've been a pastor long enough. Some of us are going, that's going on in my marriage right now. Some of us are even super convicted. That's how I'm talking to my kids right now. Some of us are like, I think that might be how, what's been going on at work. See, if you'll let the Bible speak to your soul, then you begin to say, "Uh uh-oh, could anger be out of control in my life? What's the Bible say about anger? There's lots of places. I thought I would give you just a a short list. Proverbs 18, 2. Fools have no interest in understanding, so they go on the internet. They only want to, oh, sorry, uh, fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. You're like, does that date to like 2022? It's amazing the Bible, how Bible, the Bible just speaks straight. Yeah. Uh, Psalm, uh, don't sin, how? By letting anger control you. Think about it overnight. And remain silent. Some of us are like, oh, I'll think about it. Oh, you better believe it. (laughs) 
and remain silent. Ephesians quotes some of this for us, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down. You'd be like, how long do you stew? Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. I think many of us would be like, amen. It, as soon as you get anger and it just stays there, that's where a lot of our dumb decisions happen. Ecclesiastes 7, 9, control your temper. Control, what do I do with my temper? Control your temper for anger labels you a fool. It's heavy. You feel the heaviness? Some of us are like, has he been watching us at home? Yes, I have. <laughs> when you park, we put cameras in your cars. It's all, so don't worry about it. <laughs> no, in fact, you, you want to know, know what this looks like? Because some of us, we, we, aren't, we aren't willing to admit it and like feel what's going on. So, so my kids, they'll watch YouTube and, and, and one of their favorite ones, or I should say one of the only ones that we allow uh, is Dude Perfect. And they came up with what's called the Rage Monster. And I thought, this will help us get to where we need to go. So for your viewing pleasure. Uh, the Rage Monster. Are you kidding me? Say your son! I'm not apologizing! You just got milkshake! No, no. I don't know! You think a milkshake to the car with that? Dude, wait till you see this! Are you some sort of like Rage Monster? Rage Monster? Rage Monster? I am the Rage oh, Monster! Now, let me tell you something about where, where we live. I know there's people listening from all over, but especially in, in South Dakota, some of us are thinking, that was a perfectly good car. That was a perfectly good car. How could, how could you ruin a perfectly good car? You've disregarded the anger. And, uh, so I, I actually think there's a lesson in that. You and I can watch that, and it, it's funny and, and helpful, I think, and but some of us will look at it like, how could you do that to someone's property, yet we're doing it to each other all the time? We're showing up in different environments. Maybe you're stressed out. Maybe you were legitimately wrong. Maybe it's just stuff going on. You didn't sleep well, or it's been over and over and over, whatever. And, and you show up, and you got to know some of us, if we're not careful, our anger is annihilating the people around us. And my brain consistently goes to what, what, what leads to a person? Okay, here. Why do I sometimes overreact with my kids? Why sometimes am I so tempted to, to lash back out? Maybe, maybe you're similar where you wonder. And I think C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis wrote in a poem that I, I like, okay, this is helpful for me. Angers the anesthetic of the mind. It's brilliant. When anger takes over, the mind goes numb. And if you want to know what's going on, in, especially in today's culture, 
is it's not that we, we don't care. It's that we've, we've allowed ourselves to go numb with the anger. And we've, we've, we've allowed ourselves to say, but this was wrong. This is playing out. And so we let that anger numb. And then we just explode. This is what I would say is the majority of excuse going on in modern day, right now, your life and mine. My justified motive validates my reckless anger. Let me, let me plug in something. This might help. It's why in a riot, you'll have people destroy a business. Why'd you do that? And then they will tell you about an injustice in our world. And you're like, but, but was, was the owner of that business involved in that? I don't know. I don't know who that is. Is that corporation facilitating that injustice? No. Why does your justified motive validate your wrath? And that is the world we live in nowadays. Where we are saying things and doing things, we are canceling people? Why? Because of an injustice. Meanwhile, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're like, is that what Jesus did? Did Jesus say, because he had the motive, start canceling people, start lashing all the time, beating people up and, and destroying? Did he go through the government buildings, destroying them, which you're like, justified then? He could have done it. He didn't do that. In fact, let's talk motive. Because some of us are using motive as the reason behind this is why I do that and say that. I'd say Jesus had the most motive of all people to lash out. If you don't know this about Jesus, he didn't just watch people. He knew what they were thinking. Matthew 9 gives us a little glimpse. There's multiple places in the Bible. But some of the teachers of religious law said to themselves, that's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? So just for a second, imagine you walked into a room and you knew all of the thoughts of everyone in the room. Some of you are like, that would be cool. No, it would not be. You know what you would leave that room with? Anger. You would leave that room going, I heard all the nice things that so-and-so was saying, but that person thinks that about me. Oh, I'm going to get them. Do you know, can you imagine going home and just you and your spouse, you're just talking, but all of a sudden you can read their thoughts? Some of you, you'd be moved out by the evening. You'd be like, "We're, we're done. I think this is helpful for you and I. That if you right now are justifying your actions based on the injustice, by motive, why didn't Jesus do that? Is there a lesson there? Oh, let's, let's go even more personal. Matthew 26. Then they began to spit in Jesus' face and beat him with their fists. And some slapped him. During prophesy to us, you Messiah, hey, who hit you that time? Uh, if you ever want to do this, you can do a study, literally, on spitting and slapping. And what you'll find is, 
It's something that actually goes across. It leaps over to every culture almost that one of the greatest ways to disrespect another human being is not to bring up the fist and say, that's fight. It's to slap them or spit on them. So if you want to talk about motive, Jesus in that moment, he gets spit on, call the angels in, and let's teach these people a lesson. But he doesn't. Jesus being murdered, being killed, was an injustice. And you and I, I think we need corrected in our culture that just because there's an injustice doesn't mean that we get reckless and senseless and lose control of ourselves. It doesn't mean that we cancel people. What do we do, though? But what do we do? What's what's God say to do in the midst of our anger? You can go to Colossians. And I think it helps us significantly. Since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, I know some of you are looking at me the way I would look at my pastor or teacher. I'd be like, that's too many at one time. I'm sorry. It's too many. What is just described there could be described as meekness. There's your one word. Meekness. If you don't know what meekness means, it's beautiful. A meek person does not think the world revolves around them. Meanwhile, many of us wake up and behave like the world revolves around us. If you want to know what's feeding your anger and mine, it's often when we begin to think that we're the judge, jury, and executioner. It's when we think that it's our job to do absolutely everything, so we set aside meekness. And we just try to make a point. Some of you are like, uh, meekness, it's new to me. Give me a baby step. I'll give you a baby step. The next verse. Verse 13. Make allowance for each other's faults. Married couples, you're welcome. Parents, bosses, employees, teachers, you know you're about to have students in a room. (laughs) Students. How beautiful is this? In fact, I I know this this is how I think, but sometimes I wonder if God gave me a microphone and everyone in the world listened, what would I say? And I think maybe one of the best sermons of all time right now would be this verse. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Wait a minute, I thought I was supposed to defriend them. Forgive anyone who offends you. But what if they, anyone who offends you, remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. What a sermon. 
If you want to fight wrath in your life, here's your tactic this week. Memorize this verse and let the Holy Spirit of God begin to work this out in your life. And I promise you, your surroundings will be blessed by it. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, our prayer always as a church is that you would meet with us. We, we submit ourselves to you, God, acknowledge that you are the authority over all, the creator of all, that you are good and amazing. And God, in this moment, we confess to you what, what you already know is that we have feelings. We feel them deeply. God, we see injustices, we see abuse, we see broken families, broken relationships, we see tons of brokenness and wrong, and God, we have feelings about it. Lord, I pray and ask that you would get into our souls in such a way that we would begin to do a work, that as we feel, that we would feel with meekness. Help us, Lord. I pray for every individual, every family, every business, every school, every church, every entity, God. Would you break our hearts in ways that we begin to see people as people, people you love? God, thanks for this series. It's done a lot of work in many of us. Thanks for giving us truth, God. We pray this in your name. Amen.